Jesus just appeared to him in his room. He knew it was Jesus. He was an ultra-Orthodox Jew. Jesus just appeared in amazing light at the end of his bed. He became a believer, but he didn't know what his wife would say. Uh, he told her and she said, yes, I believe in Jesus also. So what you find is there's a lot of secret believers. Welcome everybody, this is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. I'm really excited this week, we've got another cracking guest. Basically, for those of you new to Inspired, it's all about telling stories of overcoming faith amidst just the general challenges that life throws up from all sorts of different walks of life, getting people in, my friends. And this week, uh, it's one of my old lecturers, one of my old tutors from All Nations when I studied there, I don't know, 20 years ago. And um, it's a real treat to have Richard Harvey, who's a, a Jewish follower of Jesus. How are you doing, Richard? I'm good, thanks, Simon. It's great to have you. Listen, let, let's just crack on. I know we, we were on a bit of a deadline. You've got a meeting coming out after this, so let's go for it. Listen, um, yeah, fill us in, your background. Yeah, well, it goes all the way back to Abraham, but I won't bore you with the details. <laughs> <laughs> but more recently, my family came originally from Germany. So my dad was born with a German-sounding name, Anthony Adolf Hirschland. Of course, Hirschland is a Jewish and German name, and Adolf was a very popular boy's name until a certain Adolf came along. Yeah. So when my family came over to the UK, my grandfather changed the name to a very English name, Harvey, and my dad never used the name Adolf. And I grew up in London. Uh, we went to synagogue regularly. Uh, there's different types of Jewish groups, and uh, mine went to what's called a reform synagogue. Uh, we always knew that we were Jewish, that we were, uh, you know, from a background that had been through persecution and that sort of thing. But I grew up fairly traditional British and Jewish upbringing. What, what was it like that upbringing in general? Was it uh, was it a happy family? Was it quite hardcore? Uh, yeah, no, we just went along to synagogue because that's where the family met. Uh, we weren't particularly religious, but we kept Passover in our home every time Easter comes around, the Jewish festival's Passover. We go to synagogue on Saturdays. Uh, I often remember the Day of Atonement, the most solemn day of the year where you fast and pray and ask God to forgive you because uh, it would always seem to be on my birthday and I wouldn't be able to get any birthday <laughs> presents until I came home afterwards. <laughs> So what was the journey to coming to Jesus then? Well, yeah, most uh, Jewish kids, boys and girls now have a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah at the age of 13, where they take on themselves the responsibility of keeping the Torah, the Jewish law. But I said to my parents, I don't believe in God. and I don't really want to go through a service that I, I don't believe in. So they said, OK, that's fine. You must find your own path. They're very tolerant, very um, you know, liberal in those days. And I began searching, and this was in the days of sex and drugs and rock and roll. I, I didn't really get into any of that, but I certainly read a mm -hmm. lot of books by philosophers like Sartre and Camus and Russian novelists like Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. I was really searching for truth, for God, for love, for meaning in life. I don't really know what I was looking for, but I had two friends who were these boring Christians, you know, mm -hmm. the type with their Bibles out and... And I thought, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. I love an argument. Uh, and uh, the more I tried to prove them wrong, the more I saw that they were probably right. And over about three years of really trying to find ways to show that Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be and that there wasn't a God or anything like that, I came to realize that actually it wasn't me trying to prove them wrong, but rather what they were saying was really challenging me. Mm. Is this, what sort of age are we talking uh, 17. Oh. Uh, so from about the age of 13 onwards, when I, I was searching and reading all this stuff and 
exploring, you know, it was Eastern meditation techniques with the Maharishi Yogi, and it was the psychedelic albums of Pink Floyd and people like that. Uh, so I was just searching, but they had a difference in their lives. So even if they didn't have all the answers to my questions, they had a, a sort of integrity that you couldn't deny. Yeah. And was this uh, school in Winchester? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you, it's uh, one of the. It's a good school in the UK. It's actually the motto is for the study of godliness and good learning. Well, I got a lot of good learning. Uh, I wasn't that godly. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I remember. Yeah, carry on. Well, no, I was just. Uh, it, it was an amazing season at Winchester, wasn't it? Because a whole bunch of uh, people came to faith. It, it was almost like a revival time, wasn't it? A revival broke out. Some fifty of the kids at my school became believers in Jesus they went to the Christian forum many of them have gone on to really successful you know lives in Christian ministry and um, it was just simply a, a divine encounter a man from Oxford Keith DeBerry came and led a mission there and I remember going up to him he, he gave this little poem about God he said God's a bit like this as I was going down the stair I met a man who wasn't there he wasn't there again today. I wish that man would go away. And he said, for some of you, God's there and he's not there. And you don't know if you want to know him or not, but here's a very easy way. And he said, you just got to do three things. You need to, all beginning with R, you need to repent of your sin, receive Jesus into your life and rely on him. So I was very touched by this. And, and I thought, well, you know, that's so simple. I went up to him afterwards and I said, well, how can I put my faith in God when I haven't already proved that he exists, wouldn't I be compromising my intellectual integrity? And he said to me, he gave me an answer that cut through me like an arrow. It may not have satisfied everybody, but he said, are you sure that's not just your pride speaking? Mm. And I suddenly saw that that was who I was before God. I was not really basing myself on intellectual objections. It was more, I didn't want to let God in my life. And shortly after that, I just had to get down on my knees and in tears, I said to God, I want to say I'm sorry for the wrong in my life. I repent of my sin. I want to receive Jesus as my Messiah who died on the cross for my sin. Uh, and I want to rely on him. And uh, from that moment on, things begin to change. And I'll tell you another thing that happened to me, which I would now call a vision. I, they, my friends said to me, what do you think happened when Jesus died on the cross? And why were the disciples so transformed that first Easter weekend? And I had now what I can only describe as a vision. I saw an empty tomb mm. and I realized that Jesus had risen from the dead. It was like looking back 2000 years in history and the tomb was empty and I knew Jesus had risen. But I, I said to them, well, perhaps you're right. Perhaps Jesus did rise from the dead, but I'm Jewish. We're not supposed to believe that. And I knew that if it was true, not just you know, for them, but for me as well, there'd be a problem because Jewish people are not supposed to believe in Jesus. And Jewish people are still waiting for the Messiah to come. And most Jewish people think that Christians have persecuted them in the name of Jesus, but he's not the true Messiah. Yeah. Um, funny you mentioned um, Keith DeBerry, because as he part of changing your life, because his son is the one that completely transformed my life, Robert DeBerry. So I love those sort of oh, kingdom connections. Great. So, I mean, did you face massive persecution? I mean, you said your family were tolerant. How do they react? Yeah, well, I was really surprised and, and very nervous because I did know of some cases where Jewish people have been thrown out of their homes for becoming believers in Jesus. So uh, my dad came and picked me up from school and uh, I said, Dad, um, I think you're going to a, 
uh, church. I hardly got it out uh, mm. in the holidays. And his answer surprised me. He said, oh, so was I. <laughs> and he too had been searching for God. And oh. he was one of the, found my family were founding members of our local synagogue, but he hadn't found answers to the real deep questions of his life, a problem of suffering and that sort of thing. And he and I both started going along to our local Anglican church and he became uh, very involved in that. And uh, my brother became a believer in Jesus. I've got three. One of them became a believer at the same time as me. My grandfather prayed with me to ask Jesus into his life at the age of 78. So you're never too old to change your mind. Yeah. And my mum, she really didn't mind what I do as long as I wear sensible shoes. So uh, <laughs> she she was really a humanist. She sort of um, didn't think any religion was better than any other, that she thought it was all just the same wine with different labels on the bottle. But she too, especially as she grew older, she was very sympathetic and I was often able to pray with her. And I think she did have a faith of sorts as well. Right. Would you say your family was unusually open amongst the Jewish community? I would say that, um, you know, we were quite what you call assimilated in that we weren't particularly religious. And most Jewish people, okay, there's about 300,000 Jewish people now. They belong to synagogue uh, for social reasons. It Mm -hmm. brings the community together. And, of course, you live according to a Jewish life cycle. So you have a bar mitzvah, you have a Jewish wedding, funeral you celebrate the festivals together but my family have always been very tolerant i think and i'm very grateful for that and as i carried on i realized that more and more of my family had become followers of jesus often in secret Mm. and i realized that my uncle had become a a believer in jesus uh and when he was at school he'd even wanted to become a vicar but his uh, mother my grandmother really didn't want that to happen so he had to go into the family business So I think all around the world now, you know, there's 16 million Jewish people in the world and many are religious for traditional reasons, not necessarily because they have a really strong faith. And of course, many are soul searching. So we're a very divided community, divided in politics, in religion, but we're very acutely aware of anti-Semitism, you know, when people really don't like the Jewish people. And certainly growing up, and I experienced this a bit at school, where there was an anti-Jewish prejudice, which showed that if you were Jewish, you stuck out. So I think for most Jewish people, uh, if they're religious, they're still waiting for the Messiah to come, but they don't really know what he's like. And if they're not, then they're just open-minded. And I meet all sorts of Jewish people with all sorts of different views. Mm. Now, you, you, you keep on saying Jewish people as opposed to Jews. Is Jews pejorative then? Jew makes you sound a bit like an obsolete museum exhibit and a fossil. Right. So when people say, are you a Jew? It just sounds harsh. Right. And if you say Jewish people, it's a bit to avoid the stereotype and the racist sort of idea of the Jews, which sadly in Christian Europe was responsible for massacres, persecutions, and especially at key times, the Jews were persecuted for killing Christ. So Mm. I'm not fixed on this, but I try and teach Christians, if you want to be sensitive to meeting Jewish people and understanding them, uh, it helps to realize that where you have two Jews, you have three opinions (laughs) and you just can't generalize. That's really helpful. So what did your discipleship journey look like as a young, young follower of Jesus? 
Yeah, well, like you, I became a, a believer in Jesus. And by the way, I use the word Christian quite um, conservatively as well, because the word Christian for a Jewish person does not mean a follower of Jesus necessarily. It means part of the church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Protestant churches, all the churches that for thousands of years passed anti-Jewish laws and legislation. Right. Now, I know and you know that a real Christian is somebody who knows Yeshua Jesus as their friend, as their savior, as their Lord. But sadly, most Jewish people have never met a real Christian who's shown them the love of Jesus. Mm. So my discipleship, shortly after I prayed that prayer by my bedside, I said to, uh, it was our school chaplain, you may have got to know him as well, John Woolmer, who worked alongside Keith DeBerry at St. Albates in Oxford. Yeah. I said, but I'm Jewish. What does that mean? And he wisely said, well, that's a gift that God has given you. And as you grow in your faith, you'll discover more of what it means. And then I went up to university and I was due to study politics and economics and that sort of thing. But I was far more interested in what it meant to be Jewish and mm. to be a believer in Jesus. Because my family would say, um, you know, forget this Jesus business. Come back to the synagogue. Be a nice Jewish boy. Mm -hmm. And my Christian friends, I thought they were saying, now that you've become a Christian, you're no longer a Jew. Old things have passed away and the new has come. And of course, uh, for many uh, people, they think it's almost a sin to be Jewish. And I realized that, no, Jesus sets you free to be all that you've meant to be. And there's often things in our background and our identity that he wants to, to bring out and develop. So I began studying that arcane science called theology i'm sure you know a bit about that <laughs> and i realized that all the first christians were jewish i realized that you can't really understand jesus's teaching unless you understand it in his jewish background and context and i also studied the history of those first jews who did believe in jesus who were the early church but within a couple of generations as the gospel went worldwide global to rome to Greece, etc. The majority of Christians were from the nations. Another word I, I'm a bit uncomfortable with is the word Gentile, because when you say Jew and Gentile, you, you've actually, the Bible goes deeper. It talks about God's love for all nations. Yeah. Even the name of a Bible college you and I went to. Mm -hmm. All nations includes the Jewish people. Even the Jewish people are a nation. Goi Kadosh in Hebrew, a holy nation. So the word Gentile, which means not Jewish, and Jew, which is, as I say, a bit like a fossil, uh, it doesn't quite expand your understanding of God's love for Israel and all nations. And then I realized that there had always been some Jews who believed in Jesus throughout the centuries, often put in a very difficult position between a hostile church that was persecuting the Jews, forcing them to listen to synagogues, uh, threatening them with uh, either they get become Christians or they leave the country. You know, it's, it's horrific, the history, if you study this. Yeah. And I thought, but no, God's called me to be fully a Jewish person and fully a follower of Jesus. And if you think about it, that if God is truly the God of Israel and Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, what could be more Jewish than believing in him? Mm-hmm. So you got a degree in theology, is that what you did? Yeah, I graduated from Bristol with um, theology and religious studies. And um, 
I started uh, with some friends of mine, a group which is called a Messianic Jewish Congregation, a fellowship or a church mm -hmm. of Jesus-believing Jews, if you like. And I was really trying to see, you know, in the early church, the first Jews who believed in Jesus, people said they died out around the 4th or 5th century. But I discovered, no, there's always been Jewish followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Some of, you know, the great church leaders have been Jewish in their backgrounds. But um, I wanted, and I met these guys in America who, and this was at a time that Bob Dylan became a, a, a Christian and produced a couple of amazing gospel albums. One's called Slow Train Coming and the other's called Saved and a few others after that. I was invited to this meeting in America of Jews who believed in Jesus. And I thought, well, maybe I can just clear this up and not bother with it anymore. But I walked into a room, there was more than a thousand Jews who believed in Jesus. Oh. I'd never met that many in my life. I didn't even know they existed. And it like really gave me a new sense of identity. I'd, I'd previously just been saying I'm a Christian or a Christian with Jewish roots or background. I now started calling myself a Messianic Jew. That's a Jew first who's found the Messiah, Jesus. Right. And we really launched in, the, in England what had happened in America and also in Israel, a movement of messianic judaism jews who believed in jesus and we started meeting together on friday night the beginning of the sabbath we started celebrating the jewish festivals seeing how jesus had celebrated them and speaking about jesus being the messiah and we started building a community because the main problem is that when you're jewish and you believe in jesus you feel on your own mm. and very isolated but we realized i mean i was one of about 120 Jewish disciples of Jesus in the 1970s right. uh, in the UK. That was what somebody did on a survey. Uh, there's thousands now. I'm trying to do a survey right now of more than 500 Jewish disciples of Jesus. And around the Messianic, around the world, there's probably 150,000 Jewish followers of Jesus all over the place. Wow. So you started Jews for Jesus in England, did you? I was the first UK director. Um, it started in America in the 1970s. And right. I suppose originally it started in uh, Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost in 32 AD. Um, <laughs> but it's a mission agency saying that Jesus is the Messiah and you can be Jewish and believe in him. And we wanted to really be visible because so often it's kept under the radar and it's like a shameful thing if you're seen as a Jewish disciple of Jesus, you're seen as a traitor to your people or an apostate or as somebody who's a bad influence. And of course, I understand that because historically, it's never been good for Jewish people to be forced to become Christians. And that's the wrong motivation. And most Jewish people have never been given the opportunity for themselves to really look into who is Jesus. And uh, if you go to an Orthodox home, they won't allow a New Testament in the home. And of course, for many Jewish people, this is like going over to the other side. Yeah. So what we did with Jews for Jesus, we just sort of said, we're here. We'd like to talk to anyone who's willing to listen. I would go down Speaker's Corner every Sunday. Best place uh, to learn to preach, because if you're boring, people walk away. Yeah. And uh, if you're interesting, you might cause a riot. So you need to uh, keep an eye on things. 
Um, but I found that there were many people who wanted to be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And especially in the 1970s and 80s, I think we saw one or two people a month becoming followers of Jesus. Mm. Hey, folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there. I'd so appreciate it. Also, it's word of mouth, isn't it? So gossip this, these podcasts to other people, get them to subscribe, give us a great review. Absolutely wonderful. So grateful to you. So that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired. If you want to do a monthly, a couple of quid a month or, or a one-off donation, we'd be incredibly grateful. All right, now let's get back to the podcast. Have you got any lovely stories of, of people coming to faith in particular? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, my, um, my I think uh, the favorite ones are people who just discover for themselves. I remember a flautist, classical flautist called Jill, and she had to play um, in the orchestra the um, Handel's Messiah. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in Handel's Messiah, you have Isaiah 53, you know, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You know, he was despised and rejected, etc. And as she was just playing that and reading the words, she saw, yes, that's Jesus. And she just became a follower of Jesus and uh, still going strong in the Lord. Um, I think I've prayed with a number of people to ask Jesus into their lives who've just come up to me on the streets or even, you know, in our meetings. And it's always been as a link in the chain. People have known them. They've had Christian friends for maybe a few years, but they suddenly get to that point where they're ready to ask Jesus into their lives. And I remember one friend of mine uh, who I'd been at school with, actually, uh, um, hadn't become a Christian then, uh, but he came up to me as I was handing out tracts in Oxford Street one Christmas. Uh, we used to go out and hand out thousands of leaflets. I don't think it's very environmentally correct today, but uh, <laughs> we used to do that. And we, um, he said to me, you're Richard Harvey, aren't you? I said, yeah, who are you? Because I'd forgotten. He said, I'm Neil. And of course, it was my dear friend, Neil. And I said, well, what are you up to? And he said, well, this Christmas, I'm going to ask Jesus into my life. Wow. And uh, he'd gone a long way round and totally lived a life that wasn't glorifying to God at one stage. Uh, but he had been really asking God and his uh, girlfriend, I think, to be was a, uh, his wife to be was a Christian. And it was just we bumped into each other by accident. But he, he was going to become a Christian. And he did. Beautiful. Uh, did you uh, we a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, we had on a lady called Hatton Tash, who is who reaches out to Muslims and she got stabbed at yeah. Speaker's Corner. Did you have any sort of full on violent experiences there? Yeah, I've been beaten up a few times, um, but I don't really go into them in detail. Um, and normally, if if you're careful, and of course, at Speaker's Corner, you have the police there to protect the speakers, whoever they are. Um, but I, I've, I've had a few riots and a few um, sort of very angry events around me. And I've I think I've learned from the mistakes that 
if you want to prove that you're a martyr, it's best to plan it. <laughs> so you know what's going to happen. Um, and I'd rather not have it happen accidentally. But uh, one time I was in the streets of Paris. And again, we were in the um, Jewish area there. And uh, I got well and truly beaten up. But a Jewish man came and stopped it. And uh, we were let out. And another type in there preaching. And again, hundreds of people gathered around. It was getting very angry. And the police came and I, I said, well, what are you trying to do? He said, well, if we don't get you out of here, you'll, get, you'll really get done damage. So I let them rescue me. And I would say that martyrdom is a gift that you can only use once. So plan for it. <laughs> <laughs> now, often uh, with Muslims, their coming to faith comes through dreams and visions. You talk about uh, having your sort of vision there of the empty tomb. And I'm guessing sometimes the Lord in his grace, because conversion comes even more so out of Islam, I suppose, at great cost, but also often out of the Jewish faith at great cost. Do you, do you find many Jewish folk have, have visions and dreams that sort of catalyze their coming to faith? Yes, absolutely. And um, one of the things I've been involved with is, is in the very strictly orthodox areas around the world. You find them in London, Stamford Hill. You find them in uh, Jerusalem, in Mersherim. These people are seeped in dreams and visions because mm. it's part of their vocabulary and God speaks to them in dreams and visions. And um, I've had one friend of mine, uh, won't mention his name, you know, Jesus just appeared to him in his room. He knew it was Jesus. He was an ultra-Orthodox Jew. And Jesus just appeared in amazing light. And he was standing there at the, at the end of his bed. And he knew it was Jesus and he became a believer but he didn't know what his wife would say because um, she was ultra-Orthodox as well. And uh, he told her, and she said, yes, I believe in Jesus also. Mm. So what you find is there's a lot of secret believers, mm -hmm. secret disciples like Nicodemus, who come by night, yeah. like Joseph of Arimathea, who pays for Jesus' tomb, but is eventually visible as a disciple. Mm -hmm. um, so I think dreams and visions, but that's not enough to make you a disciple. It's enough to give you a powerful spiritual experience. But as, as you and I know, being a disciple means learning to follow Jesus. And that takes effort and energy. It means learning to pray, learning to read the Bible, learning to understand you know, God's calling on your life, what your gifts are, learning how to be part of a local body of believers, a church or congregation, learning how to use your time and your talents in God's service. So I'm all for visions, and I, I thoroughly, you know, I think they're amazing, but you shouldn't go looking for them. They, if, you, if they happen to you, you should welcome them. John Wesley said this, uh, or was it Charles Wesley? And you should then move on. Mm -hmm. And for me, it always leads to the call to taking up your cross and following Jesus. Yeah. So now you've traveled around the world, the Lord's used you around the world. What are your favorite stories from from being on the road sharing jesus well i was coming back from israel um uh, about two years ago before covid and uh, i was um i i looked very much like an orthodox jew if you saw me now i haven't got a long beard and um but i did have then so i was talking to this guy behind me uh, ultra orthodox jew as well um they wear the long black hats the long black coats and he said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm researching, because that's one of the things I do about Jewish people who believe in Jesus. And he said, well, don't tell anyone, 
but I have a great love for Jesus also. Wow. And he said to me, you know, I'm, I'm quite well known in the Jewish community. I'm a radio presenter in New York, uh, but I've always loved the person of Jesus. And I can't say that I believe in him publicly, but um, I know that he's the most wonderful person. And another very strict Orthodox Jewish friend of mine uh, is he's very suspected by people in the Orthodox community, but they don't quite know. But he uh, will have a coffee with me when I'm in Jerusalem and we talk about the scriptures together. So I think, um, you know, there's so many Jewish people who are secretly searching and maybe secretly believing in Jesus. And of course, you and I know that you've got to confess with your lips as well as believe in your heart. So we want to encourage these people. I remember an elderly Holocaust survivor, a German Jewish lady uh, I met down in Bournemouth and uh, I gave her my leaflet in the old days. That was what we did. And uh, I said, well, who do you think Jesus was? Because we believe he is the Messiah. And she said, I think he probably was. Mm-hmm. But my rabbi wouldn't like it. Yeah. So, you know, I've had these experiences of meeting a lot of people who are not yet quite ready to declare their faith. And, of course, for Muslims as well, you have these Muslim background believers who come from these difficult backgrounds, and often it's at great cost. So I do appreciate how hard it is to really come out, if you like, as a Jewish disciple of Jesus. Mm. Um, why should Christians share their faith with Jewish people then? Well, for the same reason that you should share your faith with everyone, because God loves the whole world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think for me, it's a no brainer. But sharing your faith with Jewish people is quite a challenge because Jewish people have had 2000 years of saying no to Jesus. And we've got all sorts of theological arguments that the Messiah has not yet come that there's only one God, so you can't believe in the Trinity. That sounds like believing in three gods. And of course, the way we read the Bible in the Jewish tradition, it doesn't point to Jesus. It points to a Messiah who's yet to come. But most Jewish people have never read the New Testament. And so they don't understand how the old is in the new revealed and the new is in the old concealed. Mm -hmm. So why should we share our faith with Jewish people? Because if you can share your faith with Jewish people, you can probably share your faith with just about anyone. Mm -hmm. All the the data says that most Jewish people come to believe in Jesus because of a Christian friend. And also because um, they've read the Bible for themselves and because of what we call the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the leading influence if you like the holy spirit has just put his finger on their lives and touched them but having a christian friend means that for most christians we don't know jewish people we don't recognize them and like i say we often think they're sort of museum exhibit that happened to be left over since the time of jesus but now the church has come and the church is the new israel or the replacement of israel Well, I think God's still got purposes for Israel, for the Jewish people, Mm -hmm. that haven't been fulfilled. And Paul looks forward to, the Apostle Paul looks forward to the day when all Israel shall be saved. Now, however you translate that or understand it, it certainly means a lot more Jewish people than there are right now. 
Yeah. Right now, less than 1% of Jewish people believe in Jesus. And I'm a big thinker here. I'd love to see all my people come to faith in Jesus. And uh, so for us as Christians, we've got a real mandate to take the Great Commission to go to all nations, beginning with the House of Israel. If you haven't met some Jewish people, um, you want to start learning how to share your faith with them. And of course, the best Jewish friend that anyone can have is Jesus himself. Yeah. And if you're a real believer in Jesus, you want to get to know him, not just as truly the son of God, but as truly a first century Jewish man born of the Virgin Mary from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, who died on the cross and rose again from the dead for our sins. So sharing your faith with Jewish people is introducing your best Jewish friend, Jesus, to your new Jewish friend that you meet wherever you are. Mm. I remember talking to um, a Jewish lady, very secular, in Uganda at a guest house, and uh, she had never seen the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, she'd never seen the Old Testament, never opened it, and uh, I took her to various passages, Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22, and, and I, I, I remember thinking myself, how could she not see um, the Messiah in these pages? I mean, it seems obvious to us, but 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 I suppose most most Jewish people they don't they don't see it at all, do they? No, and in one sense, you could say there's a veil, which is what the Apostle Paul says, a veil over Israel, and he says a partial hardening has come upon Israel, mm. and um, you know they have a zeal without knowledge, but also secular Jews are, and even religious Jews don't know their Bible very well. We often make the mistake of thinking everyone does but unless you've been brought up in a particular orthodox jewish background you're you're not very good with the bible mm -hmm. and then of course the history of our people is that our identity has been forged in the light of living between the larger groups of christians and muslims yeah. especially in europe mm -hmm. and we've defined ourselves as we're not them because we're us and they believe in Jesus and we don't. So it's almost a subconscious thing that Jews don't believe in Jesus. And we're actually very ignorant of the Christian scriptures as well. And it's great that you're able to share these passages from the Hebrew scriptures, the prophecies in Isaiah and, you know, all the other messianic prophecies. There's more than 500 messianic prophecies that point to Jesus. Mm. But it's not until you get to the New Testament that you see that the old is in the new revealed and the new is in the old concealed. And I think that part of that is not just a spiritual veil, if you like, but it's also a, a social thing that the cost of becoming a believer in Jesus for many Jewish people was you'd be thrown out of your home. You would not even be helped by your Christian friends quite often. I'm sure nobody listening to this would say that, but it was always a very difficult thing for a Jewish person to become a real Christian. Mm. What can Christians learn from Jewish people then? Well, I think you learn more about Jesus. Um, you, you see the Bible in color and not just in black and white when you know the Jewish background. You know, you think about Jesus's life and his teaching. It's normally taking place at a major Jewish festival. So you think, for example, of um, John 
7, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, it just so happens that Jesus gave this teaching at the Feast of uh, Pentecost, which is what, uh, sorry, Feast of Tabernacles uh, in autumn, which is what um, Jewish people still celebrate, where the priests would go up to the top of the temple mount and they would pour large pitchers of water on the paving stones and the altar where the sacrifices were offered to cleanse the temple from all the blood of the animal sacrifices. And the prophet Isaiah said, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And there's this group of Jewish people all singing and dancing and shouting the phrase, Hosanna, Hoshiana in Hebrew, save us, save us, save us. And Jesus gets up and with a loud voice, he has to shout over the noise of the crowd, says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water because they're seeing the water being poured down the uh, steps of the temple. And they're realizing that Jesus is giving this teaching in the context of a Jewish festival. And that's just one of many examples where it really helps to know the Jewish background of Jesus's life and ministry. And it also, I think, helps us to see God's love and God's purposes. Because if God has finished with Israel, with the Jewish people, he's probably finished, Simon, with you and me. Because mm. we don't live up to his purposes either. Yeah. So there's something about God's uncancelled covenant, his uncancelled relationship with the Jewish people, even though most Jewish people don't believe in Jesus and are still waiting for the Messiah, God still cares. God hasn't forgotten them. And according to you know Romans 9 to 11 in the New Testament, Paul writes, right now there's a partial hardening, but one day all Israel will be saved and it will be life from the dead. And he says to the nations, the Gentiles, if you like, you know, their failure to believe has led to the riches of the gospel going to the nations. And if that's what happened when they failed to believe, how much more when they return mm. will it be life from the dead? Yeah. So we've got a lot to look forward to. Mm. Do you think it's any time soon? Oh, I wish it was. Um, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to put a date on it, but certainly we need the Messiah now. Yeah. And... Um, I won't get into eschatology, the study of the last things, because uh, if you don't understand eschatology, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. Although, <laughs> boom, of course, boom. it is the end of the world. It's a terrible joke. <laughs> terrible. You remember my bad That's joke. That's a bad yeah. joke, if ever there was one. Um, any, yeah. any practical suggestions for us listening? I mean, this is so interesting. Uh, what should we do? Well, just try and pray that God will give you a Jewish friend, as well as your best Jewish friend, Jesus. Just ask God to show you how to become friends with a Jewish person. They, we pop up everywhere. You mentioned Uganda. You know, wherever you go, we're scattered. Mm. And there will be Jewish people. And then learn to listen and ask good questions. Because we often have a stereotype that we think all Jewish people are very religious. They're not. That they know the Bible very well. Many don't and that they've already made up their minds about Jesus. They haven't. They just have never really met a real Christian. So pray, ask God to show you a Jewish friend, and then listen and learn. And a good way is just to ask people, you know, what do they find important for them in their identity as Jewish? And 
Some will say, well, I go to synagogue or my son had a bar mitzvah or we celebrate Passover. Others would say, well, I'm still searching. I don't really know what I believe. And then you just go step by step like you do with anybody trying to help them to understand what it means for you to be a disciple. So for me, mission is bringing three stories together. It's, it's the story of God, how God has revealed himself and uh, made himself known throughout scripture. It's my story, my own personal experience of God coming into my life. And then it's listening carefully to my neighbor's story or my friend's story and seeing how God might want to come into their lives. Excellent. Um, we talked about eschatology there. We're not going to go into details, but what are you looking forward to in heaven? Yeah, well, I'm actually looking forward to dancing with Martin Luther. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> Martin Luther was probably the worst example of Christian anti-Judaism, yeah. which led to later anti-Semitism. Mm. And I've had this love-hate relationship with Luther for a few years now. Of course, Luther, for many Christians, is wonderful. He discovered justification by faith. We don't get to heaven by doing good works. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, through the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. So I love that side of Martin Luther. And of course, 500 years ago, he starts the Protestant Reformation. But the sad thing is there's a terrible dark side to Luther. Mm. And that is two books he wrote. One is called On the Jews and Their Lies. And the other is called On the Holy Name of God. And in those books, he launched a total crusade against the Jews and Judaism. He said that the Jewish synagogues in Germany should be destroyed, their books burnt, the Jews should be thrown out of Germany. The Jews were condemned to wander the earth for 1,500 years because they rejected Jesus. And it was the duty of every good Christian to persecute the Jews. Mm. And you can't deny this. I mean, some people try and excuse it and say he was a child of his time. Well, he was, but he made it a whole lot worse. And right now uh, in his church, the home church in Wittenberg in Germany, there's a horrific statue of what's called in German a, a Juden Sau, a Jew pig. pig. Yeah. And that statue on the wall of his church has got uh, young Jews sucking the pig's nipples, drinking the pig's milk, and a rabbi with his hand up the backside, the anus of the Jew. I'm sorry if your listeners are offended. And according to Luther, who preached about this, he said this is because the Jews get their teaching from the back of a pig. And the Jews are in league with the pig, in league with the devil even, and their teaching is all like pig's milk. Mm. And, of course, Luther's legacy led to the Holocaust. Yeah. You know, Martin Luther's sermons were reprinted by the Nazis. Yeah. And, of course, I want, as a Christian, uh, I want to forgive him. Mm. But he needs to have repented. So my dream is when I get to heaven, I'm going to dance a horror. That's an Israeli dance. And he'll have his, um, you know, he'll be rejoicing and I'll be rejoicing, but there'll have been a reconciliation. Yeah. And I don't just want to wait till I get to heaven. I, I want that to start now. So part of my work has been writing and asking, especially Christians in Germany, to show the fruits of repentance, to take this statue down if possible. It's a, yeah. quite a, um, it's now reached the third court case in Germany at the end of this month. May 2022, uh, it'll be before the High Court 
in Germany. And I'm not sure that it's going to get removed. I, I actually am very uh, cautious about that. But I want my friends who are Jewish to know that Christians are genuinely sorry for what has been said about them in the past and want to show practical reactions, the fruits of repentance. So I'm looking forward to dancing with him in heaven. Mm. I, mean, I always saw you as a peacemaker. I remember all nations. Um... We had uh, the, the the guy who did Islamics so was Shaukat Mukari, and uh, yeah. you, you were doing the Jewish studies, and uh, you obviously had very different perspectives, but managed. I mean, he was uh, slightly more sort of uh, by temperament, sort of, Wah! but uh, you, you 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 managed to disagree well in an age of polemics. Um, yeah, got anything to say on that? Well, he was a very good friend, and and the friendship was behind the scenes that we'd always be sitting and talking and arguing. So when we were in front of the students like you guys, we knew roughly what each other thought. We had strong opinions. And of course, when you're arguing with people, and this is good in evangelism and apologetics, never lose your sense of humor. Mm. Always have charity towards the other person's position. So you actually know their position better than they do, if, if possible. So you're actually able to anticipate their questions. But the main thing is reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. We are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Yeah. And too many conflicts that we have in churches are because, you know, personality clashes or maybe deep theological reasons. That's okay. But we don't know how to be reconciled and if you like to lessen the areas of disagreement and focus on our unity in the Messiah, in Christ, mm. and on our commitment to be peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers. I, I wish I could say that, you know, I, unfortunately, I, I, I still get into arguments with people and I still lose my temper and all sorts of things. But I realize that to really show the reconciling love of Jesus, I have to become the friend, even when somebody sees himself as my enemy. Yes. Well, listen, it was, I think, about 21 years ago that I last sat in one of your lectures. They were always brilliant, engaging, and this has been such a joy for me. Thanks for giving us your time. That's been oh. a real treat. So, so instructive and inspiring and encouraging, and I think uh, hopefully all our listeners have loved it as well. Richard Harvey, thank you so much. Well, Diamond, it's great to be back with you. Keep up all you're doing, and it's great to be in touch. Thank oh, you for this opportunity. Thanks, brother. Well, it's been another fantastic week. Thank you so much, Richard Harvey. Real treat. Listen, if you want to check out some of his stuff, jewsforjesus.org.uk. And I'd love it if you enjoyed it to give us a great review on Spotify or iTunes. Those algorithms basically mean that more people get pushed our way and uh, we want people to be stirred in their faith, inspired and challenged. And so I'd love that. If you want to be in touch with me, simongilbo.com or the other social media platforms. I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sanderman for the mixing. Meantime, you guys have a great week. We'll see you next time and God bless you. Toodaloo.